Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. BVW. That's the word of the day. It's not a word. You know what? We have to call it the nothing personal initials of the day. BVW. Brody Van Wagenen. He's the general manager of your New York Metropolitans. What an unmitigated mess. So what happened while you were sleeping this weekend? If you were sleeping this weekend. Here's the story, and it's a good one. Word comes out yesterday on Twitter that Cespedes, Jonas Cespedes, remember him? He missed all of last year. He's the guy who hurt his ankle by falling into a boar trap on his property after having two heel surgeries. He signed that big four-year contract with the Mets that was celebrated when they signed. You can't let him go. They were bringing him into the lineup. He would be the difference maker with DeGrom and Harvey and Syndergaard and They'd be the greatest, fitted for rings. So Cespedes gets hurt, misses time. Then we talk on Nothing Personal. Coke, I can't remember if we did this on Nothing Personal, but they redid his contract for this season, and he took a massive pay cut. And the reason he took a massive pay cut is that there could have been a grievance because the Mets could have said, you know what, we're releasing you for cause, terminating your contract. You violated the provisions of your contract with this non-baseball injury. We called it a BI, a bore injury, not as in Justin Bohr, who, by the way, is doing great over in Asia, hitting bombs as number 41, but a B-O-A-R injury. But MLB helped negotiate a new contract for Cespedes, which was an incentive-laden contract with a base salary down to $6 million and then bonuses based on at-bats. Then his salary got cut further because everybody's salary got prorated because of COVID. Cespedes, during spring training, said, I'm ready. He tweeted out, I am here and I am healthy. After opening day, a one week ago, the Mets opened on a Friday, So now it's 10 days ago. Cespedes hit that home run and everyone went crazy in New York. It's a dream come true. We've got the ace in DeGrom. We've got Cespedes back. We have Pete Alonso, the rookie of the year, home run champion. There is no limit to where this team can go. As Pete Alonso would say, LGFM or LFGM. It's let's F go Mets or let's go F and Mets, whatever it was. The excitement level was at a fever pitch. And then the season started. So yesterday was a Sunday game in Atlanta, which, by the way, everyone says Florida's in the news for everything crazy. Something happened this weekend. Some scantily clad guy jumped on the hood of a moving semi on the turnpike. Everything happens in Florida. Shout out to Billy Corbin with his hashtag, because Florida, because Miami. 
But Atlanta's gotten a lot of attention. Sweet Lou Williams with those great wings at the strip club, where, of course, it now says that he got a dance, but he said, no, no, I was just getting lunch. Maybe it was a buy one, get six free. Then the Braves had a couple of positive tests. Then the Marlins went to Atlanta, and maybe they went out and tested positive. It's just a lot of stuff going on in Atlanta. So word comes out yesterday that Cespedes was a no-show for the start of the game. Now, this is not cause for alarm for me. Here's how this works. For a 1 o'clock game that follows a Saturday night game, the itinerary would say there'd be a 9 o'clock bus, which is the early bus that is full of coaches, and that's it. Then there'd be a late bus, which would be, let's say, a 10.30 bus, get to the park by 11, two hours before. You'd have no BP generally because you don't want to get the players there too early because they would have had a night game the night before. You get on the bus. Generally, the starting pitcher takes the bus pre-COVID. Most of the players take Uber, taxis, and they get to the park on their own. Ichiro actually would have a driver wherever he was. So the bus would be really for broadcasters and executives. The bus would arrive. The report time on the itinerary, let's say, stretch at 11. That means you've got to be on the field ready to stretch at 11 o'clock. So I would always wait for the phone call. I spent 18 years waiting for phone calls from the GM or the trainer. This player's hurt. This player didn't show up. This player did this. This player did that. This player had a fight. This player got arrested. Any kind of call, I've gotten them all. So the Mets find out that Cespedes is not at the ballpark on time. So time passes, no news, simply a little tweet that says Cespedes not here. Okay. All of a sudden, Brody Van Wagenen out of nowhere releases the following statement. As of game time, Ioannis Cespedes has not reported to the ballpark today. He did not reach out to management with any explanation for his absence. Our attempts to contact him have been unsuccessful. Well, I lost my mind. This may be a candidate for the Mount Rushmore of pathetic, scary, and incompetent statements ever released by a team. And that's quite a threshold, given what we've seen only in 188 nothing personal episodes since October 14th. My first thought, is Cespedes alive? I was thinking about Tyler Skaggs. I was thinking about COVID. I was thinking about all the things that could have happened. Strip clubs, losing a kidney, any bad thing came to my head. Because the statement says he didn't reach out to management with an explanation, which is what you do if you're going to be late. You call the trainer, you call a teammate, you call your manager, you call your general manager, you call your president, you make a phone call, you text. Then word gets to the manager, GM, up the chain, you tell the owner, we've got a late player. We tell the manager whether or not we want to bench him and take him out of the lineup because he's late and we handle it. And then we would have the manager announce to the media why he was not in the lineup. And that would be that. 
our attempts to contact him have been unsuccessful. What kind of horse hockey is that? When we've had a player not report, we don't wait five seconds. We go to his friends on the team. Have you seen Cespedes? Have you seen Cespedes? Have you seen Cespedes? No, 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 no. Next phone call to the traveling secretary. Get on the phone with the hotel and have someone knock on his door. He is probably passed out. Get him up and get him over to the ballpark. And then we would talk about finding him, taking him out of the lineup and dealing with the discipline. There is no such thing as an attempt that is unsuccessful. Because if he is not in his room, then he is AWOL. Then you start calling your resident security agent. A resident security agent, former FBI, former police, former CIA, guys with badges. We teach our players and executives the one cardinal rule. Not don't make the first or third out at third base. Not hustle out every ground ball. The one cardinal rule, when you are in trouble, you call the resident security agent. That's the first call. Not your wife, not your girlfriend, not your child, not your teammate, not your manager. You call the resident security agent when you're in trouble. After we would find out that the knock on the door was unsuccessful, The next call immediately, not at game time. This would be at 11.06 at the latest. You call the resident security agent. Every team has one. Every team has one. So we would get a card that was laminated that had the name of every resident security agent in every town. I would call RRSA and the Atlanta RSA, we have a missing player. I would then get information from the hotel that not only is Cespedes not in there, but neither is his stuff. Well, that would be a clue. That would mean that he has gone missing from the team and has an unexcused absence. I would explain this to the media Or I would explain nothing to the media. What I would not do is release a statement that would make people worried about his safety. The Mets then went into damage control and, of course, released another statement that we have no reason to believe that his safety is at risk. Well, what the hell does that mean? Did you find him? Did you not find him? Where is he? Then during the game, there was an announcement made that Jonas Cespedes has decided to opt out of the 2020 season. Apparently, Cespedes' agent. Now, here's where it gets funny. Do you know who negotiated Cespedes' contract with the Mets, that long-term disaster of a deal that makes Wei-Yin Chen look like the greatest contract in the history of any signing ever? Cespedes' agent was B-V-W. Isn't that funny? That's his agent and then became his GM. Well, he got a new agent because BVW had a 
get rid of all his players when he became this rock star GM. An agent, his agent, called Brody during the game to say Cespedes opted out. Brody then met the media at the end of the game to say, we had no idea this was coming. Cespedes has opted out for COVID. Now we get news that Cespedes had been complaining that he felt that he was not getting enough at-bats because the Mets were trying to make sure he did not hit any of his incentives. Well, by the way, that's called a Tuesday, Ioannis. We're not going to let you hit your incentives unless you stop striking out 57% of the time and unless you show that you can beat out a ground ball double play. What Cespedes did is inexcusable. To walk out on your teammates and your team without giving notice, to disappear from your hotel, to cause a team to worry, though despite evidence to the contrary, I guess they were worried, though that statement would not have indicated as such. They only had to clarify once the Twitter world started saying, my God, is he okay? What kind of teammate does that? It's a teammate whose name starts with and ends with I. That is the type of player that Cespedes has shown to be because of the action he took. I don't blame him for opting out because of COVID. We saw Lorenzo Cain do it with the Brewers. We saw Ison Diaz, a young player with the Marlins, opt out as a negative, one of the few negative Marlins. So I'm not shocked by this. What I'm shocked is the way. He knows better. He's not a rookie just coming here from Cuba where I met with him, took him to lunch trying to sign him when the Oakland A's outbid us by a few million dollars. We thought we'd get him in Florida. Sat with him at lunch at Smith and Walensky in Florida. Thought that he would be the type of player who could lead a team. We went to see him play and he did a workout for us. He was a man amongst boys. But his action yesterday makes him a boy amongst teenagers. The reason I don't let Brody Van Wagenen off the hook is that you cannot allow your name to be associated with a statement like that. He knows better. Even as an agent, he knows better. And that is why my wait to see today, totally out of order, Coca, but my wait to see today is that Brody Van Wagenen has just sealed his fate. The Mets, as you know, are for sale. And the prospective buyers, including A-Rod and Josh Harris and David Blitzer and Steve Cohn, they're paying attention to this. And they realize that BVW is an agent at best, an incompetent GM at middle, and a GM without a job at worst. Brody Van Wagenen will not be the GM for one game under new ownership. Not even a game. Wait to see. And we'll catch up if I'm wrong, and I'll admit it. Word of the day, BVW. What is going on in the Pac-12? I want to explain what the Pac-12 is. It's a team, a conference in college sports. It's on the West Coast. 
I have no indication of the number of teams in the Pac-12 because the Big Ten has 14. The SEC 10 has 10 or 9 or 12 or 11. The Pac-12, Coca tells me, has 12, but I'm not going to take his word for it. But the Pac-12 is a conference, and they were all over the news yesterday and today. And I want to explain the situation and explain the difficult position that coaches, athletic directors, presidents, and players are all in right now. Players in the Pac-12 got together, and they have said that they are willing to, as a group, almost unionize and not play college football unless their demands are met. And that was a very sort of esoteric statement. We didn't know exactly what the demands were. We didn't understand what they were doing. It felt strange, but during this time of social reform and social injustice, during this time of COVID, where college football is trying to get going as best as they can, where players are scared for their safety, they're trying to draw attention to Black Lives Matter, to social reform, but we didn't know what was going on with the Pac-12 until yesterday when Penny Sewell, who's an offensive lineman for Oregon, this is not some schlepper. Penny Sewell is a consensus top five draft pick in the NFL. Some would even say top three. And he tweeted out yesterday the entire document of demands. And I read that document And my reaction was the following. I was upset because I felt as though the message was so critically important, but the demands were so critically impossible to achieve, and they were the demands of people who don't understand the business of college sports or the reality of running the business of college sports. The document started with the hashtag we are united to ensure future generations of college athletes will be treated fairly. That is a great thing. That sort of dialogue is critical. The document then went on to talk about the fact that these players are exploited because they're not paid. Then it went into COVID that they believe that they have to have adequate testing. Then they got into some legal issues saying that because we cannot have representatives help us with these waivers you're asking us to sign, we will not sign them because we need representation. They then talked about the rules of not getting paid, name, image, likeness, which we know we've talked about on the show that Congress is looking into. California and Florida have already passed legislation that future players will be able to capitalize on their name, image, likeness. But so far, not. So they outlined all the issues, and then they went into what their demands were. Pointing out the issues, I was in agreement. The demands... I've never liked that position when a union makes demands. That doesn't foment very good conversation. But when I read the demands, I got very concerned. 
there were many of them, but one of them that caught my attention, to say the least, is that they wanted medical insurance covering six years after college athletics eligibility ends. They wanted 50% of each sport's total conference revenue divided evenly amongst athletes in those sports, which means they wanted to see the books, see what the revenue was, and take 50% of revenue. Of course, that ignores expenses. So economically, that's a non-starter. They then wanted the elimination of all policies or practices restricting or deterring our freedom of speech. I agree. They wanted the freedom to participate in campus activities outside of mandatory athletics participation. I agree. They then wanted to change the eligibility rules that if any player declares himself eligible for the draft and goes undrafted, he then has the right to come back to college. I don't disagree with that. They then wanted, from a safety standpoint, they went through all sorts of demands when it came to COVID protections. They then said, and this is where it got tough. Do you remember on Nothing Personal when we said that Stanford had eliminated 11 out of 36 teams? And then we spoke to President Jonathan Holloway on a Samson sit-down, the president of Rutgers, and talked about the reality of making choices, budgeting, running a business. The players demanded that all existing sports are preserved by eliminating excessive expenditures like coaches' salaries. They named Larry Scott the commissioner of the pack. I don't know how many teams. They wanted to be consulted. They wanted lavish facility expenditures to be paid for by endowments. These demands are from players who, through no fault of their own, don't know better. They don't know how an endowment works. I don't know how many of them subscribe to nothing personal because you all know how endowments work. You know that much of the endowment is protected because it's directed money by donors. You know that financial aid to students is paid for by the investment income of endowments. And if you take principal out of the endowment, you are lowering your investment income, especially with a bear market, it would be even lower. You know that schools are working hard to figure out where to make cuts. Barry Alvarez of Wisconsin said they were stopping any expansion or improvements to Camp Randall. Tough decisions are being made. Do you know what presidents of companies don't like? They don't like demands from employees who don't have all the facts. Why would the Pac-12 players mix the message by making demands that, what's the word, presque They are making demands that tarnish or they fog up. That's clearly not what I'm thinking. They fog up, I'm going to say it again, thinking that could make it right, but it's not. The actual phenomenal issues and points that they are bringing up through this letter and through the hashtag, we are united. 
it is important for players to be heard and to talk about their safety. It's important what Congress and what states are doing to figure out how to deal with name image likeness and getting players some sort of money over the table versus under the table. It's important to have good players along with bad players try to protect other sports that their friends may play for. It's important for them to be allowed, very important, to be allowed to have a voice on campus. So the statement is given out. The demands are made. It took 12 hours for the first nightmare to happen. Washington State is a school in Washington. People call it Wazoo, but I'm not cool enough to. Their head coach is in his first year. His name is Nick Rolovich. Nick Rolovich came from Hawaii, replacing the coach who moved on to Mississippi State and is navigating his first year as head coach of Washington State. He has a player on his team named Cassidy Woods. Cassidy Woods is a redshirt sophomore. He caught, I don't know, seven passes for 58 yards, if my memory serves. Why I'd remember that and not the word of what it is when your message gets lost in a sea of insanity and misplaced demands. Cassidy Woods decided to opt out. He wasn't waiting to see whether the demands were met by Washington State University and the other schools. He said, I'm opting out. And he called his coach on the phone and recorded the conversation. The conversation did not go well. Nick Rolovich said to Cassidy Woods, when told that he was opting out, said, just make sure you're opting out because of COVID, because I'm okay with that. But you better not be part of that group of players with that issue and with those letters of demand, because that will be a different story. As though indicating that there'd be a punishment for being a part of the group who submitted these demands indicating that it would hurt his chance at keeping his scholarship, hurt his chance of being with the team. But if it's COVID, we're clearing out your locker. I get it. We're going to move on as a team. We are respectful. But if it's the other thing, Coach Rolovich said, you know, we're going to have a problem here, Cassidy. That tape got released to the Dallas Morning News. You know the law. It's pretty clear. You cannot tape a conversation on the phone without giving notice to the other party that the conversation will be recorded. Do you know when you call an 800 number or a company or an airline, this call will be recorded and will be used for training purposes only. Okay. When you are a person who's not in the public eye, I have a word of advice for you. Everything you say on the phone, everything you tweet, whether you try to delete it or not, 
Everything you post, whether you try to delete it or not, is fair game. If you are a public figure, I have a word to the wise. Everything you tweet, even if you delete it, everything you post, and everything you say on the telephone, you must assume that it will be public information. It is important to note that whether the law in Texas is a one-way law, which means one person can record it, and that's okay, or if it's Washington, which is a two-way law that requires notice, in this case, the legal issue does not concern me because Nick Rolovich should always believe that whatever he says is going to be public. And he stepped in a pile of crap so big that knee-high boots aren't going to help. There's a statement coming out from Washington State University later today where rumor is they're going to stand behind their coach, Nick Rolovich. If I'm the president and athletic director of Washington State University, I'm firing Nick Rolovich. And the reason I'm firing Nick Rolovich is I cannot have a coach ever tell a player that for him to stand up for his rights, even if he's in a demand that can never be met, or be a part of an organization that I may not even agree with, which I do. That player has to have that right, and you cannot tell him otherwise. Hard stop, period, end of sentence. Expect further statements from Nick Rolovich, further statements from Cassidy Woods, further statements from the Pac-12 regarding this demand. This will be content for days But don't lose sight of the main point that these players are reaching out for help. They are kids. Student athletes, we call them. Students are first because they're students. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Kids. They deserve to be helped. And their mission deserves to be listened to. When we come back, I think I'm going to sing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back. I saw a tweet yesterday which said, I just watched that thing you do. I don't know what took me 24 years. And I read that and I said, oh my God, I've never seen that thing you do. I know that it was Tom Hanks' only directorial effort. I know that he was in it. I didn't know anything about it. I thought it was about a boy band and I wasn't interested in a boy band. But I said, you know what? I'm going to watch it. The worst that happens is it's crap, and I don't review it. It was awesome. I never realized Ethan Embry was in it. Ethan Embry, the kid from Vacation, the kid from Dutch, the kid from Ozark, the, the adult, the prisoner who Giovanni Ribisi actually takes his identity in the first season of Ozark. By the way, Giovanni Ribisi is in this. 
Charlize Theron as a young woman, incredibly stunning, might I add, is in this. Liv Tyler, as in Steven Tyler, as in Armageddon. How about Tom Hanks's wife playing a gorgeous waitress in an incredible cameo? Tom Hanks' two kids have cameos, too. The star is Tom Everett Scott, who I recognize. Have you ever watched a movie where you see an actor and you know you've seen him somewhere, you can't place it, you pause the movie, you go to IMDb, you go to the page, and you say, oh, my God, he owned the firm in Boiler Room. Yes, that was Tom Everett Scott, the star of That Thing You Do. It's about a band where Tom Everett Scott joins because Giovanni Ribisi breaks his arm. They get a hit record called That Thing You Do. It's the story of the rise and fall of the band called The Wonders. Steve Zahn is in it. The guy from Saving Silverman who sings Neil Diamond. That's Steve Zahn. Hysterical, yes. The movie is perfect. Tom Hanks plays a manager, making them famous and realizing, spoiler alert, not all bands get a second hit. That thing you do, check it out immediately if you haven't seen it. If you have, watch it again. The music is good. The acting is good. It feels good. And in this era where feeling good has become at a complete premium, today's your day. Hope that you are enjoying nothing personal. Thank you for voting. The votes are over for podcast of the year. I haven't heard whether we got nominated, but the love you guys have shown and the votes that you have given is enough for me. I'm totally kidding. I'll be furious if we're not nominated for Sports Podcast of the Year. Thank you for downloading and subscribing. We dropped the mailbag pod this weekend. Make sure to check it out. There'll be another Samson sit-down coming up some point this week, maybe even tomorrow, Tuesday, August 4th, Coca. You may want to check that out. Thanks for subscribing on YouTube. Nothing personal with David Sampson. Telling your friends. I appreciate you. I appreciate you not because I have to. It's because I want to. I want to be with you every day. And I'm honored to do so. I spent a lot of time this weekend thinking about Major League Baseball. I spent a lot of time thinking about what was going on off the field and on the field. And I need to give you the Monday update following the second weekend of MLB because it's been a cluster. There are struggles off the field. There are struggles on the field. It's mana from heaven when it comes to content. Let's start with Shohei Otani. Let's start with telling you that you, as nothing personal subscribers and listeners and watchers, viewers, think you're a viewer, not a watcher. You know that I've been concerned about injuries. You know I've talked about them. Clayton Kershaw is back. He missed a start. Steven Strasburg still not pitching because of his nerves. And I don't mean his nerves in his belly. I mean the nerves in his hand. Marcus Stroman tore his calf. Corey Kluber tore his shoulder. 
ineffectiveness, Craig Kimbrell can't get anyone out. The closer for the Cubs. Remember how celebrated it was when he signed his long-term deal after the season started last year? Everyone celebrated the Cubs are the greatest. They got Craig Kimbrell. What a bargain. Craig Kimbrell can't get me out right now. He's thrown 17 breaking balls, I read, this season so far. Guess how many swings and misses? Zero. Guess how many foul balls? Zero. Guess how many balls put in play? Zero. Not one swing of the bat. That's how easy it is to recognize the ball out of his hand. I wonder if it's Craig Sampson. And by shaving his beard, he lost his strength. I shaved mine. I didn't lose my strength. Although my back has been hurting a lot. I wonder if that's beard related. Shohei Otani making his big comeback from Tommy John. After he had done some hitting at the end of last year, he was ready in spring training. Then all of a sudden, baseball closes down. Baseball starts up. Shohei Otani is ready to go, but they're going to protect him, they said. Joe Madden, the new manager of the Angels, tried to get Mike Trout in the playoffs, who's on paternity leave as we speak. Should be flying to Seattle to rejoin the team this week. And God, are they desperate. Anthony Rendon was hurt to start the season. Oblique, he's back. Otani, in his first start, he's going to pitch once a week on Sundays. They want to brand it Otani Day. For good times, it's Otani time. Love you, Bill Murray. And God, do I wish I had a whiskey in front of me now. Otani doesn't make it out of the first inning, doesn't get an out. Comes back yesterday. Makes it out of the first inning, then walks five guys. Gives up two runs, pulled from the game before completing his second inning of work. And that wasn't the bad news. Right now, it is 9.30 Pacific time. Shohei Otani is going in the tube. And I don't mean that tube at the bank where they suck your money out and it goes through a tube. I don't mean an inner tube. I don't mean the tube when you're on a roller coaster and you go through that great tube at Disney or Universal. I'm talking about the dreaded magnetic resonance imaging tube, a.k.a. MRI. Shohei Ontani left the game, complained of arm soreness, and is now getting an MRI. Do you think that Ontani ramped up too quickly? Yes. Do you think it's impossible for a player to be a two-way superstar at this day and age? Yes. Do you think that having him be a DH four days a week, having him sit the day before and the day after a start, and then starting him once a week is enough to protect him? No. Do I think Otani has to become a one-way player, make a choice, and be the best pitcher or best hitter he can be going forward? Yes. Do I think that the Angels are despondent beyond repair because they signed him to a record contract out of Japan? and they have nary an October game or a healthy moment to speak of other than Tommy John and now more arm soreness? Yes, they are. It's DBR, despondent beyond repair. Stay tuned. We'll have updates on Otani and other injured players. Guess who got fixed during the break in baseball? All rise. Presiding over this game is Fred Munster. Of course, it's Herman Munster. I think his real name is Fred. Coco, what's Herman Munster's real name? He played the judge in 
where uh, Marissa Tomei won the Academy Award. It's called My Cousin Vinny with Joe Pesci. All rise. Here comes Aaron Judge. By the way, there's a 70% chance Coca's asleep. He had a long night, been working all morning, told me that I'd been boring him already. His name is Fred Gwynn. Yes. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, sunshine. Good morning, sunshine. You are my sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, Coca, how much I'm glad that you're telling me it's Fred Gwynn. Don't take my sunshine away. Aaron Judge is on fire. The last Yankee to home run in five straight games, A-Rod, 2007. Until Aaron Judge yesterday. He hit two home runs as the Yankees beat the Red Sox in a game that doesn't look like Man U against Liverpool anymore. It looks like the Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. The Red Sox stink. Aaron Judge Judge does not. He hit the tie-breaking game-winning home run for his second home run, going for his sixth straight game, going after the record. Who's got the record for most home consecutive home runs for the Yankees? Anyone? Anyone? The current manager of your Miami Marlins, Donnie Mattingly. I don't know the number, even though I've spoken to Mattingly about it. We spoke in detail, but I think it's nine, but I may be wrong. So Aaron Judge is hot. The Yankees are great. What else happened last weekend? Ugh. Cardinals tested positive. One player, three staff members. Games postponed all weekend. Game today postponed. Rumor came out yesterday, waiting to hear that there is more positive tests with the Cardinals. Not good. Not good for baseball because their entire mission is to make it that the Marlins were at fault and that the protocols are perfect. If the Cardinals have an outbreak, they started at one. Let's say they're up to four. Let's say they now move to eight. 17 is not too far behind. But in other news today, the Philadelphia Phillies return to play the Yankees. By the way, just so you know, you want to know what my nothing personal pick of the day is? That's an easy one. Garrett Cole is pitching against the Phillies who haven't played since last Sunday. They're one and two. The Phillies have had one workout. It was stopped after there were positives, which baseball now says were false positives. That became real negatives. They staggered their workout at Citizens Bank Park. Then they went to New York. They're playing the Yankees, facing Garrett Cole. They don't have a shot. Jake Arrieta is pitching. The line is you have to give $2.95. I'd give $5.26. Nothing personal pick of the day. I'm three and three because the White Sox won on Friday. We had Dallas Keuchel winning. This is a shoo-in because the Phillies are going to be rusty. It is not good for a team to start, then stop, then start, then stop. The pitching coach for the Phillies said as much, which couldn't have made baseball happy. Brian Price, I believe, is the pitching coach for the Phillies. Coca, Brian Price is a guy who we interviewed to manage, and we chose Mike Redman over Brian Price. He then became a manager in Cincinnati. He's a great guy. I thought that he'd get another chance managing. For now, he's a pitching coach. He is concerned about the health of his starters. He should be more concerned that he's got Arietta going who, as you know, because we said it on HQ, CBS Sports HQ, overpaid, under-delivering. The Yankees will win tonight. 
The Cards will play again. We don't know when. The Miami Marlins, though. Everybody on three. Welcome back, Miami. Where are they? Where in the world is Waldo? By the way, Waldo is starting at second base for the Marlins tomorrow night against the Baltimore Orioles. They're playing one game Tuesday, two games Wednesday, one game Thursday. The Orioles will bat last twice. The Marlins will bat last twice. All the games will be in Baltimore. Who's on the Marlins team? On I don't know. I have no idea. They've signed everyone off waivers. They've traded for players from the Orioles. Any player who's been designated for assignment, meaning any players about to be released, the Marlins took. They've got switch pitching hitters, switch hitting pitchers, multiple arm throwing guys. We'll see who's on the team. But they're going to play. They'll have 30 guys. But where have the Marlins been? Where are the statements? Where's the media? Where's the conversations? Well, word is out today that Derek Jeter and Michael Hill, the president of baseball ops, and Don Mattingly will finally address the media today. They've received MLB's investigation because MLB investigated the Marlins and MLB's trying to say the Marlins were at fault because they went out. GMAB, give me a break. The Marlins apparently have MLB's review And they conducted their own investigation. Believe me, here's how this plays out. Jeter will stand up and say the Marlins did nothing wrong. They will say it had nothing to do with pilots or flight attendants or going out to strip clubs or bars, that the Marlins protocols are tight, they're responsible. Don Mattingly will say that he watches and makes sure everything works. Mike Hill will say he is doing his best and will continue to be the only person in that organization who can actually run a team. And he will put a representative team together as best as he can. And Jeter will be the one to say to MLB, no, don't you look at us. We're going to break down that statement because somewhere in the middle is the truth. But the Marlins right now, are at 4th and 20, and they're not punting. Stay tuned for more, because you know for Derek and for the rest of baseball, as they compete against each other to point fingers, it's all business. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.